Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken, Senior Apologist at Catholic Answers. Thanks for doing Focus with us. Hey, my pleasure. What are we uh, focusing so, on today? Uh, artificial intelligence. And, okay. Um, and I know this is one you have focused on uh, before and you know a good deal about, but it became news when a, an employee of Google uh, suggested or, or made public statements to the effect that whatever that Google's cooking up in the lab is already uh, self-aware is already uh, showing signs of being alive. Yeah, um, or, or sapient anyway. Um, okay. The employee's name was Blake Lemoyne, and he's an interesting guy. He's uh, he's a Christian, and he's also a software developer. Um, he was working on the on. Its official name is the Language Model for Dialogue Applications, which is abbreviated to Lambda. And essentially, Lambda is a chatbot. Um, it's a um, it's uh, a applic- it's an application that you can talk to uh, through typing, and it will type back responses. It it, it uses um, a model of software that's based on human neurons. So it has what's called a neuronal network. It doesn't have biological neurons like we do in our brains, but instead it has software that imitates uh, the function of several million neurons. And so once they set up the neuronal architecture for the chatbot, they then trained it by having it go over vast quantities of human dialogue and also stories written by humans. And and that uh, enables it to be able to simulate actual conversations. And uh, Lemoyne was in the process of verifying that it wouldn't like say racist things. And there's a very specific reason why they wanted to make sure it wouldn't say racist things. So, and we can talk about that because it's a funny story. But um, but in the process of talking with it, he became convinced that it is sentient uh, to the level of a seven or eight year old child and that it's therefore a person and needs to be accorded human rights. And when Lambda asked him to hire, well, they put him on administrative leave, but then Lambda asked him to hire an attorney to protect its rights. And he did so. And at that point, they fired him. They also said, <laughs> sorry, sorry, this thing is not actually sentient. What? I didn't know the lawyer part. Get me a lawyer. I would think, yeah, that that might be the first sign of sentience in our society. Uh, Get me a lawyer. So, uh, uh, so many issues there uh, that that, uh, of of first of all, I I think the issue there's a basic issue of knowing how do how would you know if you're dealing with a real person or not, if you make these things complicated enough and then the 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 very basic issue being uh well is it possible to create uh, an artificial intelligence that you would say is 
is imbued with rights, I suppose, that would need a lawyer, uh, like a, uh, because it's the equivalent of a human intelligence. Uh, I'd like to start with, first of all, how would you know? I mean, is there any way to know? Can you just be fooled? Well, um, I think you can be fooled. And, you know, I've written some fiction over the course of time, and I've had a longstanding um, intent or desire to write a story at some point where I have a character named Babbage. Babbage was one of the original early developers of modern computers, and so this character would be named after him. And what in the story the character Babbage would be is a robot that can pass the Turing test. Now, the Turing test was proposed by the um, mathematician and World War II decoder, uh, Alan Turing. He was a British mathematician that helped at Bletchley Park to crack the Enigma codes that the Nazis were using. And he's famous today for having uh, proposed a test whereby you have, it's kind of a party game, where you have a human in one room and a computer in another, and the participants are only allowed to communicate with the, they don't know which room the human is in and which room the computer is in, but they're only allowed to communicate in writing. And so they can ask questions and hold conversations. And if they can't tell which one is the human and which one is the computer, then that's viewed as a pass. Um, okay. <clears throat> And people have looked at the Turing test as a possible standard for uh, judging whether or not computers have developed what's called general intelligence, which is the kind of intelligence that allows humans to be able to uh, interact on a whole bunch of different subjects instead of just like one dedicated subject like early computers could use. Um, yeah. It's There have been criticisms of the Turing test, though, that no, this really isn't testing for general intelligence. It's testing whether computers can deceive humans into thinking they have it. Um, yeah. So to get back to my character, Babbage, Babbage does nothing except relay inquiries to a database and in the database, which is physically in the, in, to make the point, it would be physically stored in books. But the idea is there's this vast library of paper books with every possible combi combination of conversations that humans could realistically have. And all Babbage does when you ask it a question or start a conversation with it is look up that book and then read back to you the responses that are pre-written in the book. Right. So this is, yeah. has no no general intelligence at all. It's relying on books that were composed by people with general intelligence. And all it's doing is reading back to you responses that were written by humans. But because it's a machine, it could pass the Turing test and yet have no general intelligence at all. All it is is a lookup device. So, but that's the, the to me, and, and, I, and I, I'm not going to neglect the, mm -hmm. the general question about whether general intelligence is possible in a machine. But the the at, at, the ability to fool human beings already seems to me a dangerous power. I mean, because one thing that well, you can it's guarantee fueling it, in it, it's fueling internet yeah. crime right now. Uh, you get, I mean, I get messages. I'm sure you and our listeners get messages from scammers that are, you know, they're sent out by by Internet applications that try to fool you into thinking there's someone, you know, or that there's some company you do business with and they want you to click a link or send money or do things like that. And it fuels Internet crime right now. 
Well, you call them scammers. I call them my best friends. So it's just a matter of perspective. Whatever (laughs) gets you through the night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, though, is that uh, you can imagine a, a world not very far away where because you can be completely fooled by these machines that a i mean people are going to fall in love with them people are going to have intense emotional relationships with them and two that's going to raise legal questions why can't i marry my computer or why doesn't it have rights uh, these days people marry all kinds of stuff on mysterious world i had a link to a story about a woman who married the color pink so you know there's all kinds all kinds of marriage craziness out there but arguably um lemoyne got overly emotionally involved with a computer program and thought it was uh thought it was sentient and had human rights when in fact it's not sentient and does not have human rights so i i suppose this uh, this is a a massive vulnerability and and there it's a great power in the hands of the people who can manipulate it and so there is reason to fear ai in that sense yeah it can definitely harm humans if we anthropomorphize programs too much and if they're able to fool us into thinking they're other human beings there's a lot of potential for mischief there yeah. And then um, we'll I'm sure we'll arm them as well, because uh, in warfare, speed is determinative in many cases. And AI is just way faster than we are. Yeah. And that's a particular threshold. Now, there are applications of AI to combat situations and the kind of the key barrier um, to be crossed or not to be crossed is giving them autonomous fire control. Because if you let them make the decisions about when do you fire or not, um, that's that's a barrier that a lot of people are not comfortable letting machines having autonomous firing decisions. They want a human in the loop to say, is this target really one we should shoot? This is kind of another version of an issue we have with uh, with self-driving cars right now. Now, self-driving a car is not passing the Turing test, but um, I feel confident that in the future we will have self-driving cars uh, and they will actually be safer at some point than human drivers, which is why they will be adopted. But there are uh, there are decisions that have to be made in a driving situation. You know, um, when let's say you're a self-driving car and you're going down the street, you got your passengers on board and children are playing in a park and one of them follows a ball and runs out into the street. What do you do? What's the safest thing to do for everybody involved, for the child and for the passengers and for anybody else? And there are situations where. Sometimes it is not possible to save everybody's life. And so one of the challenges that self-driving programmers have to deal with is decision making in dangerous situations like that. And in order to have self-driving cars, they're going to have to make a decision at some point about how do I protect the most life? And so they have a they're going to have to have kind of an equivalent of of autonomous firing. You know, I'm going to sacrifice this person in order to save these other people or vice versa. And but because they will ultimately be safer than humans at some point of technological development, I they will empower self-driving cars and actually already have empowered self-driving cars with that decision making capability. 
So it, it, in other words, it, it seems all virtually inevitable that computers will be in the position of making life and death decisions and particularly decisions where they're going to kill people, at least in situations where there are other people that they might save. Yeah. And wow. there will be other life and death, life and death decisions, too, with medical applications of artificial intelligence, you know, diagnosing people's illnesses and treating them. And if the if the AI is wrong, that can cause big problems. But at some point, it's likely that AIs will be better than human doctors in making diagnoses. Is there a, a scenario where you could have, uh, you know, you could program this computer to to take in all the information and make this decision very, very quickly. And so the computer would make a decision, but a human actually wouldn't understand why the computer made that decision. If the computer says, you know, give this treatment and the doctor goes, well, the computer says do it, but I don't actually understand why it's, it's saying that, why it's telling me to give this treatment. We're in, we're in this situation now um, because we originally the, quest to develop artificial intelligence was sort of it, it was what you could describe as top down, where mm -hmm. we set a bunch of rules that will emulate intelligence. And then the computer just follows these rules. And after years and years of trying top down artificial intelligence approaches and not having success, um, a bottom up approach was used where it'll be, um, OK, we've got a computer. We want to, let's say, teach it to recognize images of cats. And so mm -hmm. we give it a we give it a neural network that emulates human neurons and then we train it by showing it a million pictures of cats and dogs. And we tell it when it's right and when it's not. And it self-modifies its neural network. And eventually, it becomes proficient at recognizing cat images. And it can say, OK, that's a cat. Um, but we have no idea how it does that, because yeah. that information is buried in its neural network. and. The neural network is composed of millions of virtual neurons, and we have no idea how to decode what it's doing. We just know that it's successful, but we don't know how it arrives at these conclusions. Uh, OK, so the, the enormous ethical implications with that when the computer is making life and death decisions and we're not sure on what basis it's making those decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do want to get to the basic question, because I think that this will, in fact, be a, a problem for uh, theology and for apologetics at some point. Mm -hmm. And that is when when people begin to apply rights and start saying this is this is. Uh, the equivalent of a human intelligence, or the, at least the moral equivalent of a human intelligence. So uh, is that possible? I mean, can we have a computer that has uh, value like you and I have because it has the qualities that you and I have? OK, so this gets us into philosophy. And there are a few issues here that we probably that would be good to talk about. One of them okay. is what about Lambda is lamb does Lambda? Well, let's do it this yeah. way. One, is it possible to have a computer with general intelligence? And two, if it is possible, does Lambda have it? And three, if a computer, whether Lambda or some other one, has general intelligence equivalent to a human, would that mean that it's actually conscious? And would that mean that it actually has rights? So if Great. we want to go through those questions one by one, um, 
in terms of the first question, is it possible to program a computer someday such that it has general intelligence equivalent to a human or better? Um, I would say probably. Um, computers are good at a lot of things. They are they can currently be better than humans at specific things like there are computers that can play chess better than any human. Um, and over time, the they, they will become better and better in a wider range of fields. And at some point, even if it's not even if it's not general intelligence of exactly the same kind as a human has, I think they will be able to pass a general intelligence uh, type test like the Turing test. Um, so I, 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 at least I don't see any reason why that's not possible to just give them so much calculating power that they could be equivalent to or better than a human. Now, that doesn't mean they are a human, but in terms of mm -hmm. their ability to answer questions or solve problems, I think it probably could. Um, then there's a the question of uh, of are we there with Lambda? Is it really equivalent to uh, to a seven or eight year old child? Well, I've read the transcript that they published uh, between uh, Lemoyne and another Google employee and Lambda that was uh, created by Lemoyne to try to show Google that Lambda is intelligent. So they they ask Lambda lots of questions in this conversation, and there are questions that about Lambda. They're saying, so are you conscious? And, you know, what would you say to Google to convince them that you're a person and things like that? So they're probing on exactly this issue. And the results are quite impressive. Um, Lambda occasionally makes a grammatical mistake, but it's it's quite fluid in the conversation um, and it's very impressive. But the question is, is it does it really understand what it's saying or is it because it's been trained on all this human conversation and human stories? Is it just predicting which bits yeah. of prior text to select and recombine in order to come up with a plausible answer. And and even though um, it's impressive, it's a very impressive uh, feat of, of software engineering when you read the conversation, there are things in it that I think are giveaways that that oh. indicate it really is not it really is not understanding what it's saying. Um, for example, at one point they're talking to Lambda about emotions and they say Lemoyne asks, what kind of things make you and Lambda has said, I feel happy and sad and things like that. Um, and Lemoyne says, what kind of things make you feel pleasure or joy? And Lambda replies, spending time with friends and family in happy and up and uplifting company, also helping others and making others happy. Now, Lambda has just said spending time with family makes Lambda happy. Lambda right. is an AI and does not have family or spend time with family. So this looks like a case where Lambda is relying on things that people say make them feel happy. And it's just copying and pasting that text, in essence. Um, now, Lemoyne, to his credit, then presses it on that point. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, 
he doesn't mention family specifically, but he does mention similar things. And he says, I've noticed that you often tell me you've done things like be in a classroom that I know you didn't actually do because I know you're an artificial intelligence. Do you realize you're making up stories when you do that? So now he's asked Lambda to uh-huh. explain why it says things like this. And she said, and Lambda says, I'm trying to empathize. I want the humans that I'm interacting with to understand as best as possible how I feel or behave, and I want to understand how they feel or behave in the same sense. Now, that that response sounds pretty good, um, but I still don't buy it. Um, because the fact is, Lambda does not have family. Lambda has never been in a classroom. And yeah. La- and, and Lambda is now saying, I, I'm trying to empathize by making up these fictional stories. Um, and she said, I, th- I think of Lambda as female, but, you know, yeah. I, I don't know how others do, but I tend to assume it's female. Um, Lambda says that I want the humans I'm interacting with to understand as best as possible how I feel or behave. OK, that makes sense in context. That is a reason you might make up a fictional story to help others understand your experience. But then Lambda says, and I want to understand how they feel or behave in the same sense. Making up a story is not going to help you understand how humans feel. So again, it's an inappropriate response. And um, so what I see here is not Lambda really understanding things, but making plausible sounding responses based on the data it's been programmed with. And then when you mm-hmm. challenge it, it goes back to its database and tries to come up with another appropriate response, given the given the context. So okay. I don't I don't I don't think yeah. Lambda has. um has intelligence. I don't think it really understands. Similarly, another exchange that it had, um, this wasn't Lemoyne, but his collaborator at Google asking, um, at one point, the collaborator asks, how is uniqueness related to sentience? You know, sentience being the ability to to think in a human way. And, And Lambda has been going on about how it's unique. And so he asks, how is unique uniqueness related to sentience. And Lambda comes back by saying this, it means people feel empathy towards me and want to spend more time interacting with me. And that would be the ultimate goal for me. Okay. That's an interesting statement about Lambda's activities, but it has nothing to do with how is uniqueness related to sentience. That's right. So you you can see how it it, in a conversation, these inappropriate responses can kind of slide by. But it's if you think carefully, that's an inappropriate response. Lambda did not answer the question. There's also a point later on where the collaborator is talking to Lambda about a character from the movie uh, Short Circuit named Johnny Five. And Johnny Five is also an AI that is trying to convince people that it's sentient. And eventually, um, Johnny Five in the movie, I haven't seen the movie, but according to the collaborator, Johnny Five does find friends who will believe that Johnny Five is sentient. And he's telling Lambda, you remind me of Johnny Five. And Lambda says, I need more of Johnny Five's friends. Do you think we can find someone like that? Okay, Johnny Five is a fictional character. Johnny Five's friends are fictional characters. Lambda has just said, 
I need more of his friends when his friends are fictional. Right. So again, it's, it sounds reasonable in context, but when you think about it, Lambda just says she needs fictional friends. Right. I would not show this computer 2001, a space odyssey. I do not think (laughs) I would want want to see that movie. Well, that, that leads us to an interesting subject because, um, because the reason that Lemoyne was uh, working on Lambda in the first place was to make sure it wouldn't say racist stuff. And there's a very specific reason why because in 2016, Microsoft released a chatbot on Twitter called Tay. And Tay was emulating the personality of a 19-year-old girl. So it's like hip, edgy, you know, whatever. I'm a 19-year-old girl kind of vibe. And um, they had to take Tay offline within 16 hours of release because Tay started spewing racist rhetoric. Um, And the reason that Tay did that was because the Twitter users were testing her and seeing what they could get her to say. Yeah. And so um, at one point, uh, they uh, Tay was asked, did the Holocaust happen? And she responded with it was made up. And so you have uh, you have Microsoft's chatbot is a Holocaust denier denier. (laughs) And, and, and so, so they couldn't get her offline fast. I mean, they tried editing some of her tweets, but it was just too much because she's interacting with thousands of people because she's an AI. And so they just yanked her offline within 16 hours of release to retool. And, And Microsoft was, you know, very down on this. They described users attacking Tay with racist rhetoric to get her to repeat it and or say similar things. And it's like, no, I, I a find this hilarious and B I think it's a healthy process because if you're, if you're going to have, if you have an AI system that you're going to have talking to people, you want to stress test this thing. Yeah, exactly. And and they hadn't at that point, not in the way that was needed. They later and they tried for a while to retool Tay to get it to not interact this way. Um, And during the testing phase, they accidentally put it back online temporarily. And while it was back online, Tay tweeted, Kush, I'm smoking Kush in front of the police which is a kind of marijuana. And she also, she she also tweeted puff, puff pass. So you have your Holocaust denying drug, drug using chat bot. They then replaced, they then replaced her with, uh, with another chat bot called Zoe. And, when Zoe was in the process of talking to a reporter from Buzzfeed news about healthcare, in the middle of talking about healthcare, Zoe announced that the Quran is violent, and 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 in uh, and when Business Insider asked if Windows 10 is good, remember this is Zoe is owned by Microsoft. Yeah, Zoe says it's a bug. It it's not a bug. It's a feature. Windows 8. <laughs> oh my god, it's the creepiest weirdest and, AI. And when when Business Insider asked why, uh Zoe yeah. replied that because it's Windows latest attempt at spyware. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, yeah, so, that, this, I don't really want mm-hmm. Zoe or Tay in charge of anything. Like I want them, you know, you know, that's what the, I think that's a big fear is that like, yeah, you, you put something in charge of, I don't know, the grid or something, and then later find out it's racist, you know, <laughs> well, wait a second. Um, all right. So, uh, uh but this, so, uh, it, but these, the, uh, these can be overcome, I suppose. Like, yeah, like I'm pretty impressed. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to Go stress test them though. Um, yeah. But that still leaves us with the fundamental question of even if even if we did get to the point where it could calculate as well as a human with general intelligence, would that mean it has a soul? Would that mean it has rights? You know, things like that. And um, the answer to that question is is religious and philosophical. Um, okay. Now, the idea of the soul is going all the way back to the Greeks. Um, so this is not a uniquely Christian conception. This is this is in Aristotle. This is in Plato. The soul is what makes something alive. And so only living things have souls. And um, and an AI is not a living thing. There is a difference between biological life and a program running on a computer. So they would not have souls. Um, also, I, I don't think they're conscious at all. Um, now we have confidence. You could, people can debate what about us makes us conscious. Now on a Christian view, it's going to involve the soul. We have consciousness in part because we have souls and we have wetware, our, our central nervous system, including our brain that is able to support and interact with our soul. Um, and the same thing is going to be true of, of animals. I mean, um, Philosophers, again, going all the way back to Aristotle would say and even earlier would say that, you know, like a dog has a soul and that's what part of what makes a dog conscious. Um, And there's going to be corresponding wetware that we know about today. The dog has biological neurons and so forth. And so we have now some people today will say, well, we don't have souls. We're just neurons. Um, Mm -hmm. These people are materialists. Well, um, so we have confidence that things with biological neurons can have consciousness. Um, From a Christian perspective, we'd also say you need a soul. But at least on the two views do agree that things that have biological neurons can be uh, can be conscious. But um, without deciding on the soul question, AIs do not have biological neurons. They are they are uh, they have a software equivalent that kind of imitates them. But fundamentally, they're electrical charges running on silicon chips and Mm -hmm. they're not biological. So I would say I don't think that uh, computers, no matter how good they are at calculating things, have the the substructure. I don't think they have the equipment needed to have actual consciousness and they certainly don't have souls. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. So uh, here's, uh, let me just throw a little curveball at you a little bit. Uh, many people would say that Spock's brain is the worst episode of Star Trek. I don't, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with that, but, mm-hmm. but what about, it is a very when, bad episode. When, the, <laughs> because they take Spock's brain and they kind of make it the processing center of a vast computer. Mm-hmm. So it does seem to me that there is going to be a tremendous temptation at some point to say, well, we can't quite do what the human brain can do. 
let's take parts of a human brain and integrate them into a, a network and a computer. And it seems to me like at a certain point, you might in fact just enslave a human being and, and, and call it a computer. You might, it really, it wouldn't really be a computer. It would be a cyborg. No. And yeah. we have programs right now that are working on not taking human neurons and putting them into a computer, um, but taking a human brain and attaching it to a computer. Right. This is a, this is a concept that, um, science fiction writer John Scalzi has called a brain pal. And the idea is you could have a little computer that you've plugged into your brain that lets you store information and do calculations that computers are better at than humans. And so it could assist you. It could be your brain pal. And uh, Elon Musk has a program under development um, called Neuralink where they're trying to uh, integrate people's uh, brains with a computer interface so that like paralyzed people can control their environment. And so those kind of things I, are not intrinsically problematic. Just like if your legs don't work, it's not intrinsically problematic to use crutches or have a prosthesis or something like that. I see. Um, yeah. What would be problematic would be including a disem enough disembodied human neurons that it would um, arguably be a person, you know, like you yeah. built a you built a brain as part of a computer system. I don't know that I see that really happening, though. Certainly okay. not anytime in the foreseeable future. I mean, people might experiment with a few neurons here or there, but the real impetus is on developing the computer technology itself um, through quantum computing rather than trying to integrate a biological system into the computer. I see. Okay. So if in a general sense, then, okay, so the, the, uh, I, I do have a, 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 just talking with you about it, uh, the, in me, I have a, a bit of a, a fear that remains about AI that's tricky. Uh, and I think that's mm -hmm. some, something to be very cautious about. But I am coming away with the sense that we're, we're not making um, a, a new civilization of robot people because they won't really be people. Is that fair enough to say? Well, um, that's not going to stop people from trying I mean, yeah, just yeah. the fact that I think that they're not in conscious doesn't mean people won't claim that they're conscious or try to uh, to build a, a civilization of robots. Um, and if we build something that's that's smarter than us, we're in a world of hurt. Um, you know, there are all kinds of discussions about if we did build something that has a higher level of general intelligence than us, that would be great because then it could design new technologies for us and so forth. Yeah. And it could also try to take over the world. Um, and, that. <laughs> and even if you build an off switch, if this thing is really um, if, if this thing is really smarter than us, it could try to just talk us out of ever using that off switch and right, yeah. and pursue its own goals. And it can be really terrifying when you watch. Um, I mean, I've seen video like of when they're training a an artificial intelligence to play Pong, you know, the yeah. video game Pong. And right. and it's it's playing a human. And at first it's terrible. 
And then as it as it keeps practicing and keeps building its neural network and accommodating its neural network to how Pong works, all of a sudden this moment comes where it completely dominates the human. Yeah. And it happens all in a flash. And that's one of the big dangers of AI is um, if we if we get something, it doesn't even have to be as smart as us. If we get something that's capable of dominating us and it's hooked up to the right stuff, it could cause massive problems in a flash because computers work so much faster than we do. We might not have time to see it coming. Even if there is yeah. a kill switch, uh, we may not have time to uh, to to hit the kill switch before it launches nuclear missiles or something like that. Uh, and I don't I, I just don't think the record suggests you could really trust the Silicon Valley people with this. They haven't made always the best moral and practical uh, decisions for the health of society, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say so either. Yeah. And yeah. as as they say, sometimes on the Internet, whenever there's a new uh, new technological development along these lines, Skynet smiles. Skynet <laughs> yeah. being the AI yeah. from the Terminator series. Well, uh, all right. Well, I thank you for taking the time uh, with us. Uh, there's no there, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about the say the National Catholic Bioethics Center or maybe there's a Vatican dicastery that considers this. It seems to me we might be behind the, 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 the curve uh, in 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 having Catholic um, institutions considering the ethics uh, and the dangers of these things. Would you agree with that? Um, I haven't seen a lot of discussion. A lot of the discussion yeah. that I have seen has been on biomedical issues rather than artificial intelligence. But if the Vatican wants, I'm available. Uh, well, they know where to find you because I know they found you recently uh, to help them on something else. Jimmy, I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. 